you know, we can look at the world around us and we can see brokenness. We can see brokenness all around us. We can see it in poverty. We can see it in death. We can see it in violence. We can see it in crime. We can see it in our own lives. We see brokenness all around us. And everybody's just trying to figure out how to make life work in the midst of the brokenness, right? But we can also look around the world and see a design. We can see beauty. We can see, we can see a sense of purpose. We can see something that is better than the brokenness. And it's because God created the earth and he made it good. He made it right. He made it so that it would function perfectly with everything that's in it and everybody that lives in it. But it doesn't work perfectly. It doesn't function perfectly. It's, it's broken. We were created to worship the Lord, to know Him. And because of God's design and the brokenness there together, we've got a problem, right? We can look at the world and we can see that there is a design, God's design. But we know that the design's not working out. And the reason the design's not working out in our lives is because of sin, each one of us have sinned against God. We have gone our own ways. Every single person in the world has done something contrary to what God has designed for them. We've tried to fix life our own ways, and because we've sinned, we've departed from God's design, and we've entered into brokenness. And the way that we try to fix brokenness on our own apart from God is we just try to figure out a way to make things better, made a, a way to make life work. And what happens when we try to fix our own brokenness by trying to figure out how to make life work in the midst of the brokenness, it just ends up in more brokenness. Brokenness always creates more brokenness when we are not following God. We had no way to get out of our brokenness whatsoever. We left to ourselves, we end up in complete and total brokenness. But God did something. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the good news of the gospel. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for all of us. He died, lived a perfect life, died for our sins. He rose again from the dead, overcoming sin and death. And because Jesus Christ died for us, He gave everybody a chance to see a way out of their brokenness. To see that they didn't have to try to do it on their own, fix it on their own, that they couldn't fix it on their own, that God provided a solution for everyone. But in order to find the solution in the gospel, you've got to decide to turn away from your own attempts to fix your own brokenness. You've got to see that even in your attempts to fix your brokenness, you're broken. You've got to decide that you want to turn from your brokenness. That's what the Bible calls repentance, turning from your sin, from God. And instead of depending on yourself and your own attempts to fix your brokenness, you're turning away from the brokenness in your life and you're turning to Jesus Christ. You're placing your faith in Christ. That's believing. And the way that you get out of your brokenness is by believing in Christ and repenting of your sins, repenting of your brokenness, and turning to Jesus Christ. When you turn to Jesus Christ and you trust in Him as your Lord and Savior, He gives you a brand new life. He gives you a chance to experience the design for which He created you. He gives you a chance to worship Him and know Him, just like you were created to worship Him and know Him. And one the wonderful thing is, He gives you a chance to experience that right in the middle of the brokenness in which you live. And what he enables you to do by coming and saving you and forgiving you of your sins and living a life of worship for him is he allows you to begin to recover the design for which you were made and to pursue him with all your life. You get to recover that for which you were made. You get to pursue him and his design and as you pursue him as you recover the design in your life you get to enter back in to the broken world and offer the rest of the world the gospel that's why disciples make 
disciples. Make sense? Okay, that's the three circles. You can do that. Everybody with me? Okay, cool. Let's keep moving on. All right, I want you to think of another way to look at what we've been talking about. We want to love God. Specifically, we want to experience a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, attended to by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit living in us, illuminating our hearts and minds to the person and the work of Christ through the Word of God. And so we want to have this relationship with God, loving God. And from our love for God and God's love for us, we will move to a place of loving people, right? We love because He first loved us. We love Him because He loved us. We love people because He loved us. The people that we're trying to love are the people in the church. The people we're trying to love are the people in the world. Those are the only two sets of people on the face of the planet. Those in the church and those in the world. Both of which we are to love. Those in the church we're to love in a particular way, a special way, because we share the same Father. We share the same Savior. Those in the world we're to love in a particular way because they do not yet know our Savior. And we want to live in such a way as to bless all people that they might see Jesus Christ. So the way that we love people leads us to make disciples. To reach people outside the church, to help people in the church grow, to know Christ. We we are making disciples so that every other person in the world can love God. It's really interesting when we begin to make disciples in our lives, what we discover is that we're a part of a reproducing church. And reproducing churches have people that love God more than they ever thought they could. And because they love God more than they ever thought they could, they love people more than they ever thought they could. The more they love people, the more they make disciples, and the more they reproduce themselves into churches that reproduce themselves. And then, you see how that works? And all of this is built around the gospel, the Word of God. Make sense? That's who we are at First Baptist Church. That's who we're going to be. We're never going to become anything different. That's who we are. That's who we're becoming. That's who we're going to be right there. Everybody okay? I think that's pretty exciting. All right. Any questions uh, from last week? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get us started with a question because I've had a couple people ask this question since last week. What happens when I talk to somebody who does not give any credence to the Word of God? When they hear you say the Bible, they go, I don't believe the Bible. Why would I care about hearing that? You know? So I've been asked a couple people, by a couple people, what do I do with somebody that just simply does not believe the Bible, doesn't care about the Bible? And my response is, first of all, I don't know any lost people who give a lot of credibility to the Bible. So that's pretty much everybody that doesn't follow Christ. Because if they really gave a lot of credence to the Bible, they would follow Christ. And so whether someone says it or not, everyone who's not following Christ, by virtue of not following Christ, is basically saying to you, I don't care what the Bible says. Why would you tell me that? Well, just because someone doesn't care what the Bible says does not mean that someone should not 
hear what the Bible says. The Bible does not say someone has to care about what the Bible says for the Bible to be effective when spoken to them. So first thing you've got to assume is it doesn't matter if somebody believes or thinks the Bible is valid or truth. It's not relevant. What's relevant is what the Bible is and what the spoken word does when you speak it to someone who does not care about the Bible. And the Bible says that the Bible does a lot of things in the heart that is hard towards God. That the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword that cuts straight to the attitude and the thoughts of the heart. It severs right into there to where they think most about the most important things. The word of God, when it's spoken, does not go out and return void. God's a purpose for his word going out and he accomplishes that purpose. He brings conviction. The word of God is accompanied by the spirit of God so that the spirit of God convicts people they do not believe in Jesus. Well, how will they be convicted they do not believe in Jesus unless they've heard who Jesus is? And the only way they're going to hear who Jesus is is through the word of God. Are you hearing me? It doesn't matter what somebody thinks about the Word of God. It matters what you do with the Word of God, with someone who doesn't care about the Word of God. All right, now, another way you can think about it is when you have somebody say, I don't really care what the Word of God says, well, you can say, well, I want to tell you about my life. And you can tell them your personal story. That's great. Mix it in with the Word of God. They don't have to know what references you're talking about. They don't have to pay attention to the fact that you're actually telling them about the Word of God. The Word of God will still be powerful and effective in those whose hearts are being quickened by the Spirit of God to trust God. So speak the Word of God. All right? So tell your story. And then when you're um, thinking about the Word of God and conveying the truthfulness of the Savior, challenge people. Challenge them to, 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 their own, to the point of their own intellect. You know, people think, generally, people think that they're smarter than what they really are. Isn't that true? I mean... I probably think I'm smarter than I really am. In reality, I'm not all that smart. Neither are you. None of us are all that smart. We need a whole lot more intelligence to help us along the way. That's why God is here. We need him. But people think that they're intelligent. They think they're smarter than they are. They think that they have an ability to reason and think through things. So challenge them. Somebody says, I don't want to pay attention to the Bible. I don't believe it's a bunch of baloney. Well... It seems like to me that if you were going to make decisions about the most important matters of life, that you would consider all possible claims and sources. And it doesn't seem to me like you're giving adequate consideration to the most important things that are out there to consider if you're neglecting the Bible just because you don't like it or you don't think it's true. It seems somewhat careless to make that kind of decision when you seem to be a rather intelligent person. I've had intelligent people come back and say to me, I think that sounds intelligent. And they at least will consider it. And this just ask them to think about it and give them a good reason why they should think about it. If they're going to think and make decisions about God, should they not consider one of the greatest claims about God in the history of the earth? If they decide to discount it, they decide not to believe it, they decide to walk away from it, We've done our job in presenting the truth. That's what we are called to do. Remember, success is not the response that someone gives me because they're really responding to the Lord. The success is my obedience to the Lord, conveying to people the truth of Jesus Christ. Make sense? All right. Any other questions that you say, I've got a burning question about sharing my faith. If somebody doesn't answer this for me, I don't know how I can go forward. Anybody have a question that you'd like to, to bring out tonight? Okay, if you do have questions you want to ask me anytime along the way, feel free to ask it. 
Uh, you can ask it here in our group. You can ask it to me personally. I don't mind answering any and all questions you might have. Okay, before we move on tonight, did you have a question? Sure. How do you pray for somebody who's not come to Christ? You know, I, I think it's great to ask the Lord what is on your heart as many times as you want to ask it. But the Bible encourages us not to ask things repetitively because we believe he doesn't hear us. It's okay to ask him what we want and to ask him many times. But we ask him many times because we're orienting ourselves to him as our father, a good father. who gives us the right things and answers every one of our requests. So in my own life, that means that there are some times that I don't keep asking because I know he's heard. But I do change the way that I'm praying into a thanksgiving for what he's doing, or I begin to ask in a different way. Um, so when you're praying, just make sure that what you're praying is conveying is a trust in what he has said he will do. If you say, Lord, I pray that you convict this person in regard to whether or not they believe in you, it'd be likely that God would say back to you when you read in the Gospel of John, I've already done that because my spirit has been sent in the world to convict the world in regard to the fact they don't believe in Christ. How about the next request? I'm doing that every moment. Lord, I pray that they can't ignore what you're doing. I pray that you bring other people in their life that are representative of your truth. I pray you just shower them with evidences around them of people who love you. Bring laborers into their life. He says, we can ask that. I'm going to keep asking that every day, you know. Does that help a little bit? Okay, good, good. All right, let, let's go into some new material tonight. I want to I read to you Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Moses is looking forward to the reward of Christ. By obeying God and going to Egypt and being the deliverer. As opposed to enjoying all the pleasures of being a member of Pharaoh's house. He had this commission from God to go and set his people free. And Moses says, I'm going to follow that commission as opposed to enjoying the pleasures of the world that was before me. Because the pleasures that await me in Christ, even though Moses was looking forward to Christ, the pleasures that await me in Christ are better than the pleasures this world can offer. And he embraced the commission of God to be the deliverer for God's people. Consider that God has given each of us as followers of Christ a commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. That is the commission that he's given each one of us, to be 
people who offer freedom to the captives. And the question remains for us, will we decide that the pleasures that are offered to us as sons and daughters of this world be more appealing to our lives than the treasure of Christ that is offered to us in the commission to follow Christ. We've got to wrestle with the question, what matters more to you and me? What is worth my life? What is worth everything that I have, everything that I am? What is worth my time? What is worth my possessions? Am I simply going to live for the pleasures of this world? Or am I instead going to choose a more difficult path and live for the pleasures of Christ by taking up the commission of God, the commission of Christ to make disciples in all the earth? I want to propose to you with absolute confidence that there is no greater adventure, no more exciting life than the life of the disciple maker. It is worth everything we have and more. But we've got to make choices. What will we choose to do? Will we be a part of the adventure? The great adventure of living as a disciple maker. Or we would just decide that we would prefer to waste our lives. Because honestly, when it's all said and done, everything that does not play out as disciple-making in our lives, we will call a waste of our time. We, we want every part of our lives to somehow be connected to this great commission of disciple-making, offering freedom to the captives. This is our great opportunity to make the most impact, the most difference, the most significant movement for the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 16 that the gates of hell will not prevail against the confession of Christ being the Son of God. The disciple maker's confession is Christ and all that He is. And we are making the confession of Christ to call people to follow Christ so that they would help others follow Christ. And we get to have the opportunity to live in the world that is overseen and somehow controlled and manipulated at some level under the sovereignty of God by the enemy, the prince of the air, Satan. And we get to to battle against the gates of hell. You know, gates are defensive. And the defense of hell itself cannot stand against the disciple who walks and follows and confesses and professes Christ. The disciple maker gets to punch through the gates of hell and invade enemy territory and conquer the territory of the enemy by bringing people to Christ who will then help others come to Christ. The gates of hell cannot prevail. In your neighborhood, there are people that live there around whom the gates of hell are shut. Do you know that the gates of hell around your neighbors cannot prevail against the confession of Christ that comes from a faithful disciple seeking to win people to Christ? You can walk up right to the gate of hell that blocks your neighbor from the truth and you can walk right through that thing and claim territory for the kingdom of God. There is no more significant adventure in life. Every turn, every corner, we get to enter into a battle where we get to conquer and step into the territory of the enemy for the kingdom of God. Again, there is nothing more exciting and nothing more adventurous and nothing greater than the life 
of a disciple maker. But, but each one of us has to make the decision whether or not we do believe this is the greatest of all lives. And, and the way this life plays out, we don't make that decision just once. It's something we got to make every day. Like every day I get up, I've got to think. When I encounter the offer of this world, I've got to decide today that the offer of Christ is better and that I today will strive to be a disciple maker. And if I will strive today to be a disciple maker, the gates of hell that stand against all things that God is willing to do can be broken through by the faithfulness of God in and through His church, empowered by His Spirit. It's an amazing, amazing adventure. I hope you will remember that this adventure that we're calling disciple-making is not for the serious Christian. A lot of times you hear people talk about, well, I'm just not as radical as he or she is. They're at church a lot. They read their Bible all the time. They pray. They talk about the Lord. They, they give their money to the Lord. They do all. I'm just not radical like that. I just go to church. You ever heard anybody talk like that? And they've, they've created these two classes of Christians. Christians that are radical and Christians that are normal. Right? Like when people hear me talk about this, a lot of people who call themselves Christians think that I'm radical. When in reality, normal is disciple-making. Abnormal is non-disciple-making. The world around us, even a lot of the Christian world, would call radical is what Jesus calls simply following Him. So, so please don't think and hear what I'm talking about as this is way beyond what we can do. This is radical. You're talking in terms that is way beyond what I want to be as a Christian. No, no, I'm just talking about the simple things that Jesus called us to do when he called us to follow him. We just, we just need to be a people who believe that's worth more than any other way of life. That's worth more than any other pleasure this world offers. That's worth more than any other success. That's worth more than any other pursuit. This is that which for I am made. I've been crafted to live a life of worship by inviting people to follow Christ in the darkness, bringing the light. It's amazing. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? There's nothing like the adventure. Now I want to tell you about four adventures that's, that are happening in my life right now. And, and the reason I've decided to tell you about these four adventures is just because I think it will give you a glimpse into the wonder and the amazement of a disciple-making life. Okay? So... Um, I don't want to give anybody the impression when I tell you these four stories that, that, uh, that anything but the grace of God has enabled this to happen. I don't want to give anybody the impression that I am perfect in my disciple making. I am a dull tool 
that the sharp edge of Christ uses. Okay? So I'm, I'm no different than you. I just decided that I'm going to try really hard to believe what God says and just try to follow him. That's it. And his grace has done a marvelous work. So let me tell you the four stories. Story number one. Years ago, little did I know that I would be living in Georgetown, Texas. Months ago, little did I know that I would be living in Georgetown, Texas. But years ago, God brought into my life a young man in college. He was in college in Abilene who wanted someone to help him know and follow the Lord. And God happened to cause our paths to cross, and I began to encourage him and walk with him. And I was just one of several influences in his life, but I was able to be a discipler for him for a time in his life. Fast forward to 2016, and Lindley and I went down to Dripping Springs to have a supper with he and his wife. And he is the campus pastor of the Austin Ridge Campus Church in Dripping Springs today. Isn't that interesting? There's another guy that God brought into my life after I left um, Bryan College Station and moved to Abilene. There was a a young guy that uh, was in our church there in Bryan College Station. He had had aspirations of getting to spend time um, walking with the Lord together. He was just a student at A&M and I was the college pastor there at that church, and so I moved to Abilene, and I felt like I wanted to go back to College Station and ask to see if there were some young men in the college group who would be willing to come and give me a summer of their lives so that I could teach them um, to walk with Christ and be faithful in ministry. And uh, so I went and asked, and he was one of the guys that called me up and said, I want to come and live in Abilene. He came, he ended up living in Abilene for years. And I got to sow into his life for many, many months. And he met his wife there. They got married. They went off to East Asia to serve the Lord in a very difficult place. I was able to go over there and visit them there. And and, uh, here we are in 2016. And guess what? He's one of the pastors at a church plant in Round Rock. Redemption City Church. Daniel Young. I just saw him couple months ago, face to face at his home, because God had brought us to the same place. Isn't that interesting? Several years ago, a young man came into Southside. He's disenfranchised with the church, didn't really think that he had a place there. He wasn't walking with the Lord very much at all. His family was not close to the Lord, and just so happened that he found a place next to me and I next to him, and we began to walk with the Lord, and I just began to encourage him and disciple him. Little did I know that over the next couple years, God would graft him into that church family in a unique and amazing way, and then God began to call him to be a pastor, and that I would be instrumental in him finding a church in which he would pastor. He pastored that church. It ended really ugly. It was a sad story of a a dysfunctional church that, that tried to wreck a young man's life who was following Christ. But he trusted Christ. He learned through that pain, and he's come out on the other side following Christ and devoted to him. He wants to make disciples above anything else in the world. Guess where he is in 2016 today? Right down the road at Hill Country Community Church in Liberty Hill. He is now their new pastor. Isn't that crazy? Now, here's another one. 
A while back, I was at a conference, and a guy comes up. His name's Kevin. And Kevin is the lead pastor at a church in Austin that you would probably recognize. And uh, Kevin came up, and he said to me, we were friends, and Kevin said to me, you see that guy right over there? I said, yeah, I see him. He, and uh, he, said, he said, that guy was an atheist. He was a law student and a lawyer, came out of UT, is an atheist. Because I met him, I began to share Christ with him today. After much discipleship and growth in his life, I've discipled him. That's what Kevin said to me. I've discipled him, and today he's one of the pastors in our church. I said, that is an incredible story. He goes, well, let me tell you the rest of the story. And he reminded me of this. I had forgotten this. He said, let me tell you the rest of the story. I want to thank you. I said, what for? He said, because the guy you discipled when he was in college led me to Christ and discipled me, and I'm the one that led him to Christ and discipled him. And who would think that here I am just minutes away from him? I got to see him face to face a couple months ago, sit down over lunch and just reminisce about how God has been so good. That's just a small glimpse into the life of a disciple maker in just the last few months of how God has weaved together so many stories of people leading people to Christ, coming to Christ, and seeing God knit their lives together in a way that you cannot simply imagine or craft on your own. Do you see the invitation that you're being given? To be a part of something that will absolutely blow your mind, that you can be a part of, the building of the kingdom of God. That's your opportunity. But it's reserved for those who believe that there's no greater calling than the calling to make disciples. Uh, my hope for you tonight is that you would make the decision to believe. To believe that simply following Christ is worth everything. Just to be a disciple maker. Nothing more, nothing less. All right, let me give you, I want to give you 10 things real quick in about 15, 20 minutes that I have learned over the years of disciple making. The first time that I spent time one-on-one -on -one with someone intentionally seeking to help them become a disciple who could make disciples was when I was in about 10th grade. The first time that I had somebody take me under their wing and said, I want to help you be a disciple so you can make other disciples was in 8th and ninth grade. So I've been experiencing this for a long, long time in my life. And a few things over the years have stuck in my heart. And I want to share a little bit about some of the things I've learned through the years. So here we go. These are 10 things that I have noted, that I have learned from years of walking in the adventure of God's grace through disciple making. Number one. I will never get over my inadequacies. And should I ever feel adequate, I'm in really big trouble. Did you catch that? I will never get over my inadequacies. And should I ever begin to feel adequate, I am in big trouble. Because the only thing that makes me adequate for the task for which God has called me is His grace. That's it. So my inadequacies are real and they drive me to dependence upon the Lord and a constant attachment to His grace. 
And it's only through an attachment to his grace that I find the power and the sufficiency and the enabling to make disciples. Everybody got that? Okay, so who in here feels adequate, inadequate to the task? Okay, we're all on the same team, right? It's okay, now let that inadequacy drive you to Christ, to depend upon him and his grace, and then make disciples. Right in the middle of your inadequacy. Okay, number two. Disciple making is best understood as a way of life rather than a program or following some set of materials. I have not invited you to participate in a program. I have invited you to participate in a life. There's a big difference. So you signed up once and for all to be a disciple maker when you decided to follow Jesus. It's a permanent program. When this class is over, you don't stop being a disciple maker because the program is over. No, I've just invited you to consider the life that God has called you to live. You can use materials, and there are times when a study like this or a program can formally help us to make disciples. But what we strive to be is disciple makers with our lives, with the people that God brings into our lives for the rest of our lives. See, there's, a, there's an informal category of disciple making that accompanies the formal when the formal is a way of life and not a program. Does that make sense? There's an informal aspect to disciple making. I may not get to spend one hour or two hours a week with this one individual for the next six months helping them follow Christ, but I may have five minutes with this individual, and it may be that that five minutes is the key thing that turns them to Christ. And I may not ever see them again, but God is faithful to take them and help them walk with Christ. I may just have a piece to play in that. And that informal moment of disciple making only comes out of a life of a disciple maker. It never comes out of a program. See the difference? It's, it's got to be a way of life. Number three, disciple makers are students at heart, not teachers. Does anybody feel ill-equipped to be a teacher in here tonight? Anybody? What about being a student? Does everybody feel okay with being a learner? See, that, everybody's comfortable being a learner, right? Some people are very uncomfortable being teachers. I get uncomfortable with it every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night. And, uh, but we're all called to be learners. That's fundamentally what it means to be a disciple is I'm a learner of Christ. I pay attention to what Christ has said. I learn from it, and my life looks like I learned from it. And that's why we make disciples. So a disciple maker is primarily a student, not a teacher. So, so when you say, I'm really nervous about the idea of teaching someone else, well, remember that you're not first a teacher, you're first a student. Here's why that's important. Think about this for a second. The person who believes that he has something to say or to teach, so if you're approaching this as a teacher, I'm coming to teach this person. 
that person actually has less to say than the one who has, knows he has something to learn. The, the, the one who's the greatest teacher of all is the one who knows he has so much to learn. If you identify more with being a learner, that makes you a perfect disciple maker. If you don't identify with being a teacher, that does not disqualify you from being a disciple maker. Because what you need to do simply is learn from Christ and share what you've learned with another learner. The only thing that separates you between someone that you and someone that you're discipling is the fact that you're just maybe one or two steps ahead in learning and encouraging them to learn too. It's not so much that you're teaching them everything, it's that you're just saying, I'm learning something, I want you to learn it too with me. We're learners, following Christ together. I just might be one step ahead of you. Sometimes we might discover that you're one step ahead of me, and I'll take a step forward because of you, because we're both learners. Does that make sense? All right. Number four. Number four. Disciple-making is as much about the person that you're discipling as it is the information you're seeking to use to help them follow Christ. So it's as much about the person as it is the information. And what I mean by that is that no discipleship relationship will ever be a repeat of a previous relationship. So you should make the assumption that a new person needs, needs, means a new method of disciple-making. So you know, the four guys that I mentioned to you, none of those experiences were the same because none of the people that I was spending time with were the same people. But I will tell you this, the goal was exactly the same. See, the, the person means that the experience will be different. The goal will always be the same. Don't allow the person and your perceived needs of the person deter you from the goal. Make sure that you stay true to the goal. I want to make this person a disciple who makes disciples. That's the goal. To reproduce. To love God, love people, and help others do the same. That's the goal. Now I want to get to that goal in a way that is paying attention to this person. Remember if we're the spokesperson for Jesus to people's lives, the words of Christ fleshed out in a relationship with somebody else is unique because that person is unique. So pay attention to the person, but keep your eye on the goal. Number five, the basics are never too basic, ever. We don't graduate from the basics. Oh, you sure talk about reading God's word a lot. That's so basic. Can we move on from that? Nope, there's no moving on from that. You sure talk about praying a lot. Can we move on? Nope, no moving on from that. You talk about the church a lot. Can't we talk about other things? Nope, nothing more basic than that. Nothing more necessary than that. We don't graduate from the basics. I'm, a, I'm afraid that if we were all very, very honest tonight, um, we all know that we, we need help in the basics. Every one of us. We, we need help there. So don't, don't think you've got to move to something more significant, more theologically profound, more in-depth or systematic or whatever. Just stick with the basics. We, we don't graduate from those things. If you just hang in the basics, all of you know the basics. You understand the basics in here? If you just stick with that, guess what? 
You can have walked with Christ all your life and made disciples because that's basic. Just hang out in the basics. You'll be good. All right, number six. Conviction is so much more important than methods. Do you know why every time we meet, I start with something you should believe? Because what you believe is more important than what I teach you to do. I could stand here every week. I could have spent all seven weeks giving you methodology, telling you about how I've discipled this person, how I've discipled that person, all the materials that I've learned and, and uh, become very comfortable with, every method I've, I've come up with. I could have spent much more time than I have teaching methodology, but I've spent more time teaching what you should believe than anything else. And the reason is because conviction is more important. Because if you believe you're supposed to be a disciple maker, guess what? You're going to figure out how. You're going to figure out what to do. Because that's the way we're wired. If you believe you're supposed to do something and you don't know how to do it, what do you do? You figure it out, don't you? How many of you have spent time on Google in the last two months trying to figure out something that you need to do that you didn't previously know how to do because you believed you should do it? How many in here have done that? Like most of us? Why? Because we all know that we figure out what we believe in, what we value. We make all kinds of effort to do it. If you believe with every fiber of your being that you are called to be a disciple maker and there is no greater task, no more significant reward, I don't ever have to tell you how to do it, ever. Now, I will, and I'll help you along the way, and I'll share experiences, and I'll give you that kind of stuff, but the reality is I don't ever have to do that because if you really believe it, you don't need me to tell you how. You'll figure it out. Got it? So you ask me, what am I supposed to do to disciple this person? Okay, do you believe you must? Do you believe there's no other task more important? Is your life constrained by this commission? Well, then just help them walk with Christ so that they can help somebody else walk with Christ. Well, I don't know what to do. Figure it out. Figure it out. And guess what? If you work really hard at it, you're going to walk really close with Christ and they're going to become just like you and they're going to end up walking with Christ and you're going to look back and say, wow, I didn't know I knew how to do that. And you're going to realize, I didn't know how to do that, but God did and I believe what he said more than anything else and he took care of it because this is his work, not mine. Are, are you with me? This is so freeing. Just believe this and then do it. Figure it out. Go with it. God will help you. All right, number seven, the principle of reproducing is number seven, and it is you will only become who you are. You will only reproduce who you are becoming. Okay, I know that's very simple, but it is incredibly profound. So think about this. You will only become who you are. So start today being who you want to become. I've been around people that have said things like this. I never thought I would become what I've become. And they usually talk about some great failure in their life. And so I ask, well, how did you become that? And then they start talking about all the things that they did. And I'm like, well, you became who you were. And it doesn't make sense that it's confusing to you that you became who you were. We all become who we are. If you want to become a disciple maker, then leave tonight and be a disciple maker. And guess what? You'll become one. Because we all become who we are. Now, granted, when you leave here tonight and 
become a disciple maker. You may not be the disciple maker that you are in 10 years, but you'll never become the disciple maker you can be in 10 years if you don't be a disciple maker today. Right now. With everything you are. Just, I'm going to be a disciple maker. That's who you'll become. All right, so start today, start tomorrow, start the next day. Be who you want to become. Number eight, disciple, disciple making is always worth the risk. Always worth the risk. I've had um, a number of people that I've poured my life into abandon the cross. And it is deeply wounding. I've had many people that have not abandoned the cross, but there have been people, a, a, a good number of people that along the years have decided they're no longer going to walk with us, and I poured my life into them. Well, it was worth it. It was worth the risk and the pain and the sorrow of seeing them depart from Christ. I didn't know. I had every indication at that point they were teachable, they were willing to follow. I poured my life, and I don't know what will happen in uh, their moment of rebellion. I don't know. They may come back to Christ and lead somebody to Christ who leads 10,000 to Christ. I cannot see what God can see. But what I can see is what it's like to obey Him, and it is always worth the risk. Always. Number nine, teach the teachable, disciple the willing. Look for those who display a teachable, willing heart and then test what you see. I have an individual that's been saying to me, I want somebody to mentor me. I want somebody to disciple me. Never had anybody to disciple me. Never had anybody to mentor me. Well, I'm like, let's get together for lunch. And I'm probably going to say something to him that makes him maybe a little frustrated. When I say, you know, the Bible doesn't say that we are supposed to be discipled. The Bible says we are to make disciples. So quit whining about not being discipled and start making disciples. And I'm just going to see what he does. You know what? If I, he starts making disciples, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to disciple that sucker. <laughs> I'm going to pour into him big time. You know? So I'm going to, I want to help anybody that's willing, but I want to test and just see. How willing are they? When I put out the command of Christ, how do they respond to Christ's command? They respond to Christ's command with, hey, I'm in. Whatever the command is, I'm going, okay, let's get together. Let's move. Let's learn together. Let's push. Let's follow Christ. All right? Number 10, a moment of failure can destroy a lifetime of faithfulness. A moment of failure can destroy a lifetime of of faithfulness. And so here's what I want you to get out of that. Disciple making best flows out of long-term faithfulness. Some of the greatest tragedies in my life have been when my brothers close, I've walked with, discipled, depart. And the thing that hurts me more then their departure is the pain they brought into the people's lives they led to Christ. And I just want to tell you that disciple-making best flows out of long-term faithfulness. Don't 
ruin a lifetime of disciple-making by a moment of failure. Now, if you've, if you've been in a moment of failure, don't discount the power of God's grace to restore you and bring you to a place of disciple-making again. He can do that. His redeeming power is amazing. But listen, don't make a mockery of God's redeeming power by saying that He can redeem what you broke so you don't care about having broken it. We need to be a people that cling to long-term faithfulness and encourage others to do the same. If there's one way you can challenge me, encourage me, confront me, rebuke me as your pastor, you come up and you speak to me in areas that would be critical to my long-term faithfulness of walking with Jesus. Don't assume that I'm doing everything that I should be doing to be long-term faithful to the call of Christ. Assume that I'm on the edge of breaking down and come and confront me and rebuke me and love me and challenge me to continue to walk with Christ. That'll be a great blessing. The moment you begin to assume that Kevin's got it all together, he's going to make it long term is the moment you've stopped paying attention to the fact that the enemy wants to take us all down. Please, let's battle together for long-term faithfulness because nothing is better for disciple-making than the grace of God being exhibited in the denial of ungodliness and the readiness of a church that's looking for her Savior. Right? All right. We're out of time. Got the handouts up here. You can download it on the internet. We'll pick up with part two next week. And uh, I'll give you some methodology, okay? So I'll give you some more stuff to hang on to about making disciples. You guys have a great evening. Thanks for being here.